0: Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your love and your kindness. We pray, God, that as your word goes forth this morning, that you would be glorified, that you would be praised and lifted up, that our hearts and minds would be enlightened and understand, or being able to understand your truth. Lord, I decrease so that you may increase, I become less so that you can become more, I pray, You would move me out of the way this morning that as we look at this wonderful doctrine of the effectual call of God or the irresistible grace of God, that you would give us just a higher view of how great you are in bringing us to faith. And Lord, I pray that we would rejoice at the end of this sermon, knowing that our God is great, that our God is good. Keep your people from believing a lie. Keep me from teaching error. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, I do want to say good morning to you and I do want to say thank you for being here because I do love you guys and I do appreciate you all um, really sticking through all the things that we've been studying for the past. Uh, I guess since the beginning of, of the summer, we've been doing a summer long study through the doctors of grace. And I know that God must be doing a work in your lives because you have not left. You're still <laughs> you're still here. And you've been learning and embracing these truths. And so uh, to God be the glory. I, I want to say brief, briefly that I know that a lot of these truths that we are studying, they fly right in the face of a lot of our sacred traditions. A lot of us come into to RBC or any church with traditions Things that we have not been traditionally taught. I've had many of you come up to me and say, uh, be pastor, be patient with me, pastor. I'm I'm just learning this. I've never heard this stuff before. Um, And I want to extend my gracious understanding to you of where you're coming from, because no one is born reformed or no one is born unless you're raised in a reformed church. Like some people are privileged to do, like your kids may be privileged to do. No one is growing up learning these things. Really, if unless you're in a reformed church and you're not learn, growing up learning these things, it's by God's grace that we've come to, to an understanding of these things, to rejoice at the truth of these things and, and to ultimately give God glory for all of these things that, that we've been learning. So with that said, I know that you're getting your emails, I know that you're getting your CDs and I, among others, are here to, to help you with any questions that you may be struggling with. Do not hesitate to ask. Um, This past week, and I'm saying this in passing uh, as a side note. This past week, I I had the urge to to just call up all the men um, and just say, "Hey guys, how you doing? Anything I can answer for you? Anything you're struggling with? Because I know this is not easy." I had a conversation with one of the brothers, and he says, "You know, you should have called me. I I really, I would have benefited from that." And we just had a good talk for just a few minutes. And so, um, be expecting a phone call. And I just want to see how you're doing and and see how this is all going for you. Amen. Amen. The, the other thing on the side note is, don't rely on me, though. you got to do a study for yourself. I can help clarify some things, but at the same time, you've got to do your own study. I got a 51 long text message this morning. 51 texts from one person. I looked at my phone and said, are you kidding me? There's no way. And, and it was actually just describing everything that we've been talking about and everything that we're going to talk about. And, and my only response was, amen. That's exactly, it's exactly right. Um, and it was really just, is this right? Is this on the right track? Absolutely. You're on the right track. That's exactly what we're talking about. Amen. And the other thing is so that you all know, I do not call females and I do not answer females calls. So if you're calling me and you're wondering, how come he's not answering? how come he's call? I don't I don't even answer text messages back from females. That's the way I roll. Right. Um, I I believe that the enemy wants to will want to attack this church. And the way he'll do it is by a pastor flirts with me or a pastor and I were on the phone. No, that's not going to happen with me. So. Understand that if, if you're calling me, I, I may answer once because, you know, I didn't recognize the number or whatever, but that'll be the last time we have women here in the church who are more than capable of, of handling whatever I could could handle and doing it in a better way because they're women. And I don't want any woman in this church to get the wrong idea. I'm in love with my wife. She is the queen of my heart. And that's not to say anything, but I don't want to, to leave the door open for for any Um, Any possibility for the enemy to come in and and even deceive or or make a lie up? That's not true. So just just uh, as a side note, last time we were together, we we looked at the doctrine of limited atonement or actual atonement. We saw that atonement is a type of of reconciliation. In this case of Christ is referring to the reconciliation of God and man through Christ Jesus. It is the work of Christ. It is his life his sacrificial death that brings peace between God and man because Jesus Christ paid the price that we owed and that was also taken up by Christ and he in taking up our price our 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 debt he also satisfied the wrath of God the bible says in 2 corinthians 2:18 2, you can put that up there for me brother 2:18 all this is from God who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The work of Christ has been satisfied. The wrath of God has been satisfied by this one man, Jesus Christ. We were alienated from God. God brought us back through Christ to the glory of God. We asked the question, who was the atonement for? And what was the effect of that atonement, atonement? We saw that the atonement was for the elect and that it was a real atonement. The death of Christ actually paid for the sins of the elect. It was not a possible atonement. It was a, a, a completed debt that was paid by Christ that we owed. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The price of our redemption was paid by Christ in full, and he did not fail to pay that price. It actually paid the price of our redemption, not a possible redemption. It was an actual redemption. Jesus Christ did not shed his blood in defeat. All for whom Christ died, he secured their salvation. Therefore, the intention of the atonement was to actually save every single person that Jesus Christ set out to save. And in that intention. Jesus Christ did not fail. Right. Amen? Amen. He saved every single person he intended to save. Every single person. He did not make it possible or make them make us saveable. He saves us. He did not offer up a potential salvation, a hypothetical redemption. It was actual. Amen. Amen. We do not become co-saviors based upon what we do or don't do. Christ finished the deal. Amen. Amen. So. As we saw in the previous lesson, the payment was made for the elect. Now, let me move forward. I want to talk to you today about the I and the acrostic of tulip. We are almost done. We've got one more letter. And I pray that you've been learning and growing as we've been going through this wonderful tulip. My, my favorite, I call him my grandfather. My grandfather, uh, R.C. Sproul, says that Arminians also have a, a flower. It's called the daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. For us, it is the tulip. I thought that was funny. Sorry. I guess you have to understand the doctrine to get it. Anyways, this doctrine is often challenged because it gives the impression that God saves people against their wills. It is called irresistible grace or God's effectual call. And I've had I've heard many people in debates, especially say that God essentially drags people kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God, pulling them into a direction that they don't want to go. They don't want God. This is not what God does in salvation. No one comes to God who does not want to come to God. But how do they initially come to God? How were you Saved. We're going to ask five questions or at least five headings today. Some of you may have an idea of how you were saved at the heart of this doctrine of irresistible grace lies the question. How were you saved or how is it that anyone is saved? If we are dead in sin, how is it possible that anyone comes to faith in Christ as we are in John chapter one? Let's go there. Let's actually stand very briefly for the reading of God's word. It's only two verses. You can bear it. And I'm actually going to start in verse number nine and I'll read to verse 13. John chapter one, verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, here we are, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You may be seated. God had a blessing to the reading of his word. This text, it speaks about a number of the the doctrines that you and I have been going through. It speaks of total depravity of man. It speaks of sovereign election. And it also speaks of sovereign regeneration. Verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, listen, this is the free offer of the gospel that is preached to the world. And we'll get to that later on in this service. But the question is, for those who are hearing this message, how did they hear? How did they come to believe on the name of Christ and be saved? How is it that those who received Christ as Lord and Savior came to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Verse thirteen will give us the answer. The question, how did they come? Verse thirteen, who were born not of who were born naturally, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John is not speaking about physical birth here. John here is speaking about a spiritual birth. So physically he's not talking about how is someone spiritually born again? How is someone regenerated? To be saved or to be regenerated is to receive a new disposition. So how does someone receive that new disposition? How does someone receive a new heart, a new mind, new affections, new will, new nature? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And as John describes the new birth, he does so with three negatives and then one positive. He says not, nor and nor. And then describes the positive like this. As we said before, we should praise God for all the buts. But let's go on. There are three negatives. Here they are. Three ways in which you were not saved. Not of blood. Number one should be up there when John says not of blood. He's speaking not about your physical, not about your, 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 your family lineage. It doesn't matter who your father was. It doesn't matter if your daddy was a preacher that doesn't make you saved. It doesn't matter if your grandfather was a preacher that doesn't make you save. It doesn't matter if you had missionaries down your family lineage. It does not matter. That cannot save you. That's right. That's right. You are saved, not because of your parents house that you grew up in. Yeah. My family, all four of us were raised in a, in a Christian home and by the grace of God, he's called us. Yeah. But that's not the same case for every single Christian home. Right. Right. It's not because of your your physical descent that cannot save you. Number two, nor of the will of the flesh. This is referring to your human efforts. You are not saved by putting your shoulder to the plow and pulling up your spiritual bootstraps in order yeah. to save yourself. This is not the will of the flesh. Yeah. Your efforts will never be good enough to save yourself. And number three. Not because of the will of man either. So effort and then also just your own will, because your wills are enslaved to sin. Man's will is spiritually dead and enslaved to Satan. It's in in bondage. There is nothing that you can do to naturally want God, not of your own natural will. Everything in your will resists God. Again, thank God for verse 13. Because the truth of the gospel hinges on verse 13. Verse 13 starts with this, but of God. Again, thank God for the buts that we see in the Bible. Because they always are following a negative that leads us to a positive in God. This is the positive. But of God means that you were born again according to the sovereign will of God. Nothing in yourself, everything of God, not based upon any good thing that God could foresee in you. No, it was simply God's sovereign choice. It is these who are born of God and it has everything to do with God. This brings up a good theological point of two words that I brought up to Ruthie a long time ago that I said we would talk about. But we're here. Monergism and synergism. Monergistic regeneration. Mono meaning one And work, it refers to an agent, one agent at work in the process of salvation. The one agent during or at work in the process of salvation is God. There is also what's known as synergistic regeneration. This means two people Mm -hmm. coming together, two agents coming together. Both agents are are. Working together in order for salvation to be possible. Who are those two agents? God and you. I've heard it said that there are two votes. God cast a vote and you cast a vote. And you both have to be in agreement in order for the vote to be victorious. I've also heard it said God votes for you. The devil votes against you and you have the deciding vote of who's going to win. This is not what scripture teaches. Salvation is not up to you. This is a synergistic view of salvation. The Bible says, again, as we look at the verse, not of the flesh or not of blood, not of the flesh, not of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. He's speaking about one person. There's a sound in this passage like God is wringing his hands, hoping that you will accept him. Does It sound like in this passage that God is 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 praying and just banging on the door and hoping that you'll just open up because he really wants you to cooperate with him so that you can be saved. Instead, it sounds more like God is kicking the door down and saying you're going to be saved. (laughs) Nothing of yourself, everything of God and God says, and I get the glory. When you were born physically, what part did you play in that act? Were you allowed the opportunity? I wish I saw some of you wish you were. Were you allowed the opportunity to pick your parents? No. no. Were you allowed the opportunity to pick your, your gender? How about your ethnicity? How about where you would be born and at what time? Of course not. James Montgomery boy says, what did you have to do with your birth? Did you say, I would like to be born a boy to Mr. And Mrs. Smith. They seem like a nice couple. Did you say, I would like to be a girl? Five, six, have blonde hair. Of course you did not. You had absolutely nothing to do with it. Instead, your father met your mother. And between them, they produced you. And you only realized what happened afterward. It's obvious, therefore, that when God uses this image, he does so. He's speaking about John chapter three. He does so. To show that he alone is responsible for your salvation and that you believe only because he created the life within you to do so. So spiritually, God is the sole agent in bringing the miracle of our new birth to us. Let's go to John chapter three. Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse five of chapter three says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The new birth of the spirit is like water and wind. The water washes and cleanses us. The wind is uncontrollable and the wind is irresistible. What can you do to stop the wind? Anything. So it is with the spirit of God. Our salvation is from God alone and not from us. This is solely Deo Gloria to God alone be the glory, because God alone has given us the faith to believe and the grace in doing so. Number two, this is God's work in salvation. Turn to John chapter five. We're going to be in John in a few weeks. Uh, verse 24 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Listen, he does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death death. To life. This is the heart of the gospel. What does God do in the, our, in the work of salvation? God, he takes sinners who were dead and brings them to life. We are unable to believe in Jesus Christ because we were born again. He made us alive. But listen, we are not believing. And then we're born again. My wife brought this up to me a long time ago and it, it freaks me out. We are born again. And then we believe we are given a new heart so that then we can believe you don't believe. And then you have a new heart. Instead, you are given a new heart and then you can believe we cannot believe. And then because of our belief, we're born again. Instead, we're born again. God changes our heart so that we can believe so that we can receive. We must must be given a new heart, a new mind, and then we can believe. Here's an example. What did Lazarus do first? Come out or was he brought back to life? Did Lazarus come out of the tomb first and then was he brought to life or did he come to life and then he was brought out of the tomb? So it is with us. We are brought to life and then we come to Christ. Dead men cannot hear. It is only those who are made alive that have the ability to hear. And it is the greatest miracle when someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the greatest miracle? Jesus said you will do greater things than these. One of the things that we should never, ever take for granted is seeing someone come to faith in Christ. Is a brother who's sitting over there on the side who asked just a few weeks ago, what is the gospel? And if you were here on that night and I just explained to him and now he's still here. I don't know why, but he's sitting over there. Maybe God has changed his life. Maybe God has changed his heart, but he's, he's at every service. Yes, to God be the glory. We should rejoice when we see someone. What happened there? God took someone from death and brought them to life. It is the greatest miracle to see someone regenerated. When God raises people from the dead, from the grave, and gives them faith to believe, it is a miraculous moment. I've been speaking to a friend that John and Lupe know who's going through a tough time right now. And we came up in ministry together. We were preaching together. We began really our salvation together. And I've been sharing the gospel with him for the past few weeks. And just the other day, as I was talking to him, I was telling my wife, he called and we talked for about two and a half hours. And he said, I prayed something that I've never prayed before. And, and if you know this friend of mine, he's headstrong. He's a person that likes to be in control. He's a person that if he's not in control and doesn't know what's going to be the next step, he is losing his mind. And he's in that place right now. And he says to me, i prayed something that I've never prayed before and I couldn't even believe that it was coming out of my mouth. He prayed this, God, give me the desire to want you. Give me a new heart. He said, change me because I can't change myself. And if you know Tim, Tim, don't talk like that. And he says, I don't even know how that was coming out of my mouth. And I stopped and I said, Tim, there's hope for you yet. Yes, yes, yes. He says, is this all the stuff you've been telling me? Pray. Yes. Hallelujah. God is changing your heart. I said to Tim, and you've got to understand, you can't pray that unless God is doing something in you. Hallelujah. Amen. I have never prayed that before. I don't even know. What, I thought it was always up to me. I thought it was up to me. He said this. I thought it was up to me to just man up. But I'm realizing everything that I do, I fail and I can't do it on my own. And I was just like, yes, man, I was rejoicing and I was rejoicing at his pain because God is changing his heart. I I was laughing. I was telling my wife, I was actually laughing at him and saying, listen, man, I don't mean to laugh, but God's at work in your life. And he's stripping everything that is not of him that is of you away from you so that all you're left with is you on your face before God. Here I am. I am but a man, I can do no I can do no other. uh, Martin Luther says, How do you pray something like that? The Spirit of God is is drawing this man near. I've been ministering for the past four weeks to him. Every week talking for at least two hours on the phone. That's why I was late to the young and reform class that that night, because I was on the phone with this man, just ministering the gospel to him. And here it is. Four weeks later, God is moving in his heart. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. The Bible says in the book of Colossians this is him. When you were dead in your trespass and sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is what happens when we come to Christ. We are resurrected from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he admitted to me, I, I, I don't even think I actually was ever saved. No one ever has ever shared the gospel with me like you have. He said, I knew church. I knew the, the games of church. I knew how to play the game. I knew all the rules, but I don't think I was ever truly a believer. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Yes. The Bible says in Acts 11:18, yes. God granted the gen- to the Gentiles repentance the that leads to life. Who granted it? God. God, God granted repentance. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Grace and faith, yes. faith and grace. Both are a gift from God. Hallelujah. God gives the gift of faith. God gives the gift of grace. Then you can believe and be saved. Hallelujah. Philippians 1, 29 says that we've been granted to believe. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. He not only begins the faith, he also finishes the faith. He who began the good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. This birth is done by God. He raises us to life. He draws us. The Bible says in, in John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Come to me. Draw. Come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Bible says in verse 44, and this is where we're going to get a draw. No one comes to me unless the father draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the drawing power of God. What does God do in this work of salvation? He draws you to himself by God, the Holy Spirit, bringing those who are chosen by Christ to himself. The word draw means more than attract. It means more than urge or to woo someone. It means literally this. And don't get confused and don't think I'm, I'm speaking double talk. It means to drag someone by force. Hallelujah. The word is used to describe hauling bricks or towing a heavy load. We see this in different places. We see it in Acts chapter 16, verse 19, when the owners saw that there were, their, their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul. And then what did they do? And Silas. And they dragged. Same word. Draw. <laughs> dragged. Same word. Into the marketplace before the rulers. They literally went to Paul and drug him out. Same word. Unless the father draws. Acts twenty one thirty. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and they dragged him out of the temple. Same word, draw. And at once the gate was shut. Here we go. Can you imagine how many times Paul was drug out of somewhere? Here we go again. Same word The Bible says in John 21, six, he said to them, this is Jesus. After the resurrection, he sees Peter on the lake. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it out. And now they were unable to haul it in. Haul is to pull it in because of the quantity of fish. John goes on to say that there was 153 fish. Peter pulled that heavy load ashore. And unless the father draws you and pulls you, you can't come. God must overcome our resistance to the gospel. And at the same time, as he's drawing, he gives us a new heart so that we come. He draw, he gives you a new heart and draws you out and you come. We're not drawn, kicking and screaming, though. (laughs) We are drawn in accordance with our wills because our wills have been changed. Can we resist God? The doctrine of irresistible grace does not mean that the influence of the Holy Spirit cannot be resisted. Yes, you can resist God. But it does, it does mean this, that when the Holy Spirit calls you, he will overcome your resistance. And make his call irresistible. Meaning this, when he wants you, you're coming. You can resist, but he will overcome your resistance. And just think about, we all were resisting. We all said, no, 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 until he said, yes, you want me, don't you? And then you go, yeah, I do. That's weird. I do want you. You ever see like on Looney Tunes where they go, no, and they say, yes, no, yes. And then they go, yes. And the person goes, no, no, I like agree and do what that. okay, anyways, I watch too many commercials. People resist God all the time. Acts 7.51, Stephen rebukes the Jewish leaders for resisting the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 430, Paul speaks about grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the whole Old Testament history of the Jewish people is about resisting the commands of God. However, listen to this now. This is where the sovereignty of God comes in. God allows the resistance. You're resisting because God allows it. So God is still in control because he's allowing you to resist. Okay, you're going to be disobedient. I'm going to let you be disobedient, though, (laughs) because at any time, because I'm sovereign, I can stop it anytime I want to. God is sovereign even in allowing disobedience. It was the sovereignty of God that allowed rebellion. It was the fact that God is in control that they were able to be out of control. God allows it, but God also overcomes it when he chooses. The doctrine of irresistible grace means that God is sovereign and he can conquer all of our resistance and even the resistance of our own will. The Bible says, Daniel 435, he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stop or stay his hand. Psalms 115 says our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Mm -hmm. Simply put, when God wills to do something, even our wills can't stop him. And and I used to hear preachers all the time when I was growing up say, he won't violate your will. He's not going to do that. God is going to let you. And and I remember thinking, there's one thing that God can't do. There's one thing God can't do. And I used to think, man, that just doesn't even, I wasn't even saved yet, sis. And I was thinking, that don't set right with me. There's not one thing besides lie or do evil that my God can't do. Job said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. When God sets out to accomplish something, it is accomplished. John Piper, my wife's dad, says, Irresistible grace does not drag the unwilling into the kingdom. It makes the unwilling willing. Only Piper can say things like this. It does not work the constraint from the outside like hooks and chains. It works with power from the inside like new thirst and hunger and compelling desire. God breaks through spiritual blindness of dead men and he gives them the ability to see, gives them the ability to hear. God does this. It is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, drawing people. I love what uh, Steve Lawson said. He's not just tickling your ear. He's not just massaging your heart. He's not just giving you an attraction. He is powerfully, supernaturally, sovereignly, graciously, and irresistibly drawing those out of the world yes. whose hearts have been married to the lust of the flesh and drawing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. He calls. Yes. And the elect of God answer. Yes. Verse or number 4. John chapter 10, let's look at that. John 10:2 says, "But he, Jesus, who enters the doors in the shepherd uh, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens." The sheep hear his voice and and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes for he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The shepherd calls and he's calling the called. This is the powerful call of the shepherd. The sheep he calls and the sheep he knows by name. The sheep, Amen. as they're grazing, yes. they lift up their head. Yes. My shepherd is calling me yes. and he's calling me by name. The sheep who is who are mixed in with other sheep. Yes. Amen. He calls Ruthie yes. Jean and they lift up their head. My shepherd is calling me by name yes. and they Amen. beckon to that call. Yes. They are drawn to the voice yes. of their shepherd. Yes. They are drawn because he knows my name. And I know his name and he's calling me to himself. It is the powerful call of God. You've heard that call. That's the call that you've responded to. It's the call that you've beckoned to because he's called your name. And by grace, he's given you ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to believe. And you recognize that you were in your sin, broken in your sin, and you've repented and you've placed your faith in Christ. How? Because the shepherd called your name. Amen. And because he called you by name. Gave you the grace to come to him. Hallelujah. If you remember, mm-hmm. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they be, be, might be the firstborn or firstborn among many brothers. Hallelujah. Among those whom he also predestined, he also called. Amen. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. glorified. Those whom he began with in eternity past are those who he glorifies and concludes with in eternity future. He called them. There are no dropouts when God calls, there are no failures when God calls. He calls and they come. If you look forward to to John chapter 10, verse 5, he says, And a stranger they will not follow, they flee from the stranger. For they do not know the voice of the stranger. They will not follow the voice of a Joseph Smith. They will not follow the voice of a Robert T. Russell. They will not follow the voice of the Pope. They will not follow a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing. They will not. They will not. They will not. I heard a story of a man who was standing near a shepherd and the shepherd would call his sheep and they would come. He said, let me put on your clothes and let me do what you do. He put on the man's clothes, the shepherd's clothes, and he began to call out to the sheep to go in a certain direction. They would not even respond. They kept going about their business. But the man who was not even wearing the clothes that he was wearing called out and the sheep began to move because they knew the voice of their shepherd. A.W. Pink says, let the man of the world hear two preachers, one giving out the truth and the other giving error. He can discern no difference between them, but it is far different for a child of God. He may be but a babe in Christ, unskilled in theological controversies, controversies, but instinctively he will detect vital heresy as soon as he hears it. And and why this is because he is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and a stranger he will not follow. You should be able to recognize as you're hearing these different preachers. That's not of God. That doesn't glorify God. That sounds like man's theology all my life. And I was telling probably my wife and whoever else will listen. I've grown up in some crazy churches. But how is it that in every church that I've been and I've always been the anomaly. I've always been the person who was the outlier who says this doesn't sound right. That's right. Because I, I believe I was filled with his spirit and that he was giving me discernment, even though I've been wrong a lot of times. And he was leading me closer and closer to himself and further and further away from the wolf. He calls and we are the called. What a glorious truth it is to be called the called. Romans 1, 6 says you were you are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. First Corinthians 1, 2 says Paul called Paul is also called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who are in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. First Corinthians one nine says God is faithful by whom you were also called Into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians 4, 4 says there is one body and one spirit. And you are called in one hope of your calling. Amen. 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 I don't know if you get that. And I've been saying this over and over again. How many sheep are in the sheepfold? And he calls you by name. And you came. You're the called. You could walk around saying, God has called me by name. And and again, when you hear these things, they should not fly. Listen to me. I've been in church for 35 years. I've been preaching the gospel for 16 years. More than longer than a lot of you have been saved. And more than many of you have been in church. And if this don't excite you, and I've been in it longer than you... I don't know what's wrong with you. Amen. Amen. You should be overjoyed. No, don't start clapping now. You should be overjoyed at the fact that you are the called. And we can look it up in Scripture in 2 Timothy 1.9. says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Man. If you placed your faith in Christ alone, and you trust that it is by grace—the grace of God—that you live, the Spirit of God—that you are able to live this Christian life, and that His Word is your guide to all truth, and that to God alone be the glory—you are the called. Amen. Amen. This is a wonderful truth. You should not fall asleep at this. This is the only reason why you're alive. This is the only reason why you're not out there getting wasted or losing your mind like you were because of the gospel of being called by God. Amen. Amen. Oh, let us never be tired again. Amen. This cannot just be religion for us. That's right. This is the gospel that you go preach. Yeah. Yeah. Each Amen. member of the Trinity is at work in this process of saving sinners. Before the foundation of the world, the Father loved and chose those who would be saved. Romans six, five says or five, six says at the right time when we were when we were still sinners, say that five times fast, we were still weak, utterly hopeless. Christ died for the ungodly and Jesus died for his own and he secured their salvation. But this was not the end of it. The Holy Spirit now works in the hearts of the elect and brings them to faith in Christ. This is the doctrine of irresistible grace or God's effectual call. If he calls you, come. Call. Yes. the message of the gospel is preached. The call of salvation is extended to everyone to hear. Hallelujah. Here's an example. And we'll close right now. We find Paul in Acts 17. You can turn there. Preaching the gospel to the people of Athens. A place of rampant idolatry and fornication. Paul starts to preach. verse verse 24 of 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor does he serve idols or serve human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all gives to all mankind life and everything, which is common grace. Verse 30. Skip over the times of ignorance. God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message that is inviting all people, no matter who they are, to come and drink freely from the water of life. This gospel promises salvation to all who repent. This is the gospel call. Now, listen to me. It's the outward call. Extended to the crowd of dead people. As we have seen in the doctrine of total depravity. This call goes out, but we are unwilling and unable to respond to this call. No matter how hard the dead man tries to bring himself to life. He's not going to respond to the outward call, although the outward call is given. Now, this is where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. The outward call goes. And in order to bring God's elect to himself, there must be an inward call. The outward call goes and there was an inward call response that is enabled by God, the Holy Spirit. When we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit quickens us to life. Therefore, we hear the calling of our good shepherd and we respond in repentance and faith by the grace of God. What does he say to the prophet in the Old Testament? Look at these dead bones. Who can make these dead bones come alive? Who was it that brought those dead bones to life? It was God. Can you imagine seeing a valley of dry bones being brought to life. I would freak out and probably die on the spot. The Bible says in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life with the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know My own and my own know me and go back to verse three. Sheep, hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. The gospel goes out. His sheep respond to his voice. We are the sheep. You are the sheep who were wandering, doing as dumb sheep do. And the good shepherd called your name and you, Martina, Philip. Jojo, Matt, Maria, you lifted up your head in grace, by grace, to respond to the call of your shepherd who was leading you to himself. This is the special inward call. The Holy Spirit performs a work of grace within the sinner which brings them to Christ. This is the inward call for the elect that enables the sinner to understand, believe, to see, and to hear, and to by grace respond in faith and repentance. As we turn back to Acts, We see that the gospel was preached to those people in Athens. But did everyone respond to the gospel? The message was delivered generally. Verse 33. So Paul went out from their midst. But some, not all, joined him. Why? Because they believed. The gospel was preached to all those men. And out of all the people that were there, some believed. Some heard the beckoning of their good shepherd. And they followed Paul. The Holy Spirit never fails to bring salvation to the to those whom He calls or draws to Christ. If the Holy Spirit calls you, you will come. The Spirit gives the dead man a new heart and a new nature. Ezekiel 36:26, and we'll finish. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute and be careful to obey my rules. Our wills are changed in this process so that we are choosing God of our own free wills because he has changed our wills. To want him, to desire him, to love him. In closing, Daniel Steele, five points of Calvinism. Because the sinner is given a new nature so that he loves righteousness. And because of his because his mind is enlightened so that he understands and believes the biblical gospel, the renewed sinner freely and willingly turns to Christ as Lord and Savior. Thus, the once dead sinner is drawn to Christ by the inward supernatural call of the spirit who, through regeneration, makes him alive and creates faith and repentance within him. This is the irresistible effectual call of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace in calling us. And we are praying for those yet to be called. We are praying, God, that the gospel message receives, reaches their ears. We are praying, Lord, that even in general revelation of of the world being created by someone bigger than a big bang, someone who made the big bang. We pray, God, that by any means necessary, as that old revolutionary said, that you would bring them to Christ that you would bring them to faith. Lord, let it be done according to your will, your good pleasure and your grace and for your glory. But we also thank you for saving us. We thank you for calling our name. We thank you for knowing our name. Let this be something, even in our prayer time, that we remember, God, thank you for calling my name. Thank you for bringing me from death to life. Lord, thank you that there's nothing that I can do that I have to try to do to save myself, Lord. Thank you that even though you don't do this for everyone, you for some reason, nothing good in myself chose to save me. And as we'll talk about next week, you will preserve me. You will preserve. I can persevere because you have preserved me. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.